and welcome to the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saadeh. You're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. Thanks to Manny Mestas for that opening music and just a reminder that you can find the Radical News Radio Hour on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at C Miriam, that's C M I R I A M. And you can listen to previously aired episodes of this show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, amongst many other podcast sites. You can also reach our show at radicalnewsradiohour at gmail.com with tips, recommendations, and any questions. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the new Building Dignity and Respect Standards Council and worker-driven social responsibility model with Reverend Doug Mork. Just a reminder, if you've got feedback on a story or a story tip, please email us. Again, that's the Radical News Radio Hour at gmail.com. Today, we'll be hearing from Reverend Doug Mork, the executive director of the new Building Dignity and Respect Standards Council and Worker-Driven Social Responsibility Model, or BDC for short. BDC aims to create a standards code aimed at non-union developers in order to protect non-union workers. BDC was formally launched on Tuesday, um, October 6th. Um, you can uh, listen to my pre-recorded interview with Reverend Doug Mork next. Hi, Doug. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Radical News Radio Hour. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks. I'm happy to be here. We're really happy to have you. So I got this press release on Friday from Tool. Really excited to hear about this organization, the Building Dignity and Respect Standards Council, and its worker-driven social responsibility model. Can you tell us a little bit both about your work and also the work of this organization? Yeah, so I'm the executive director of uh, BDC, which is what we uh, call it for short. Um, and again, really it grows out of the work uh, over the last several years of um, um, Satul and their construction team. Um, they've been doing work uh, in and around kind of the non-union sectors of construction in the Twin Cities. Um, what we find in the in the cities really is it's, it's almost as if there were two separate industries. On the one hand, um, kind of the union construction side um, tends to be, um, I mean, frankly, the unions do a good job of protecting workers, um, pay benefits uh, are good, uh, workers have a voice, um, safety record is, is uh, you know, good. And on the other hand, uh, we see kind of this whole side of the industry that's sort of smaller, multifamily residential, single-family homes in the suburbs um, that's more just marked by extreme examples of uh, wage theft and labor trafficking at its most extreme, uh, safety violations, all kinds of kind of, you know, worker harassment and treatment issues. And so really, uh, again, growing out of kind of organizing work that Satul was doing with uh, construction workers around the Twin Cities over the last several years, um, they've really been focused on kind of 
you know, employer by employer, contractor by contractor, or sometimes case by case, but have always been trying to ask that question, how do we bring more systemic change to the industry? And so they started to look towards this worker-driven social responsibility model that we've seen used so successfully at um, the Fair Food Standards Council and the Coalition of Amati Workers in Florida, and really looking at how might we adapt that model that, again, has been used some other places in the country and around the world um, as a way to kind of build on this uh, and bring some systemic change to the industry. Wonderful. So I know that this pertains to the non the non-union construction field, but you know, I've been thinking lately how much there's been a resurgence in a want to unionize by, you know, the small local businesses, the spy houses, the surlies, all of these spaces. Why do you, yeah. yeah. Why do you think the work of BDC and also these other kind of efforts to unionize are so important, particularly right now in this sort of um how we should how shall we say a traumatizing and interesting year that we're in <laughs> yeah that's uh, that's for sure um yeah i mean i think this is a i think there's a bunch of uh, a bunch of ways that a bunch of, of of circumstances that make this really a critical um moment i think we are seeing a renewed awareness of the vulnerability of workers in general, um, certainly to COVID, but also to to all the other kinds of workplace situations that have grown out of the impacts of COVID on the economy. Uh, and so I think that, yeah, I think, you know, there is a renewed interest in organizing and in building worker voice. Um, we partner both at BDC and, and speaking uh uh, for our other allies, the tool um, really uh, the tool partners very closely um, with um, the carpenters and the laborers and the Minneapolis building trades, the labor movement in general. Um, and we regard this, uh, we at BDC really regard this as kind of growing out of. Uh, that work, not just of Satul, but kind of the broader work for worker justice. And uh, I think, you know, uh, to raise, to kind of raise the floor, if you will, um, I think will, in addition to dealing some of these, again, worst abuses and really um, giving uh, developers an opportunity to, to step up and commit to higher standards, uh, I think, you know, again, it, it's kind of part and parcel to the work that um, that that unions are already doing, and the work that, that, that the organizing that workers are doing um, uh, to build voice and build power uh, in the workplace. And so, uh, I think it is. Uh, it's also a moment where we've seen, in kind of stark uh, relief, um, the the some of the inequities and the divides that you know we've we've certainly known about, but have been easy to to sweep under the rug. And I think the, you know, the, the uprising and all that's happening in the early conversations around um, the rebuild uh, happening in the same time as, again, these major impacts from COVID have really um, shown kind of where the, where the haves and the have-nots, uh, where those divides are, and, uh, and, and, and the importance of really workers' voices being at the center. The key to this model, to this being a success, is that it really centers uh, worker voices, that it's worker-driven top to bottom. Mm -hmm. 
So can you discuss the code of conduct a little bit more deeply? I mean, where does it come from? And I mean, what does sure. EDC hope to do with it? Right, right. So, so um, uh, you know, as you might imagine, um, the code of conduct covers a whole variety of the kind of uh, working conditions and situations that find in the construction uh, industry or frankly in many other kinds of work. So it certainly covers um, basic issues of um, wages and benefits, but also talks uh, in, in many ways issues like safety, um, like uh, workers' rights training and safety training, um, like the ability of workers to um, uh, to, you know, to 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 have a voice in their uh, in their workplace and know what their rights are is really at the center of the model. Um, again, it it really it in, in loose terms, it's based on this um, uh, the model of the Coalition of Immokalee Workers, the Code of Conduct for Agricultural Work. Now, admittedly, many things had to be adapted to construction. But again, that, that idea of the kind of central ideas of, of the worker-driven social responsibility model that really want to rest responsibility for the treatment of workers um, at the kind of top of the supply chain, if you will, or in this case with developers and to some extent even, even finance um, to recognize that um, uh, that developers developers can choose to have a responsibility for how workers on their jobs um, are treated by holding the contractors that they hire to a higher standard. And that's really what this model is. Um, again, BDC has been working with teams of workers and in conversation both locally and nationally to kind of build the code of conduct itself. Um, uh, developers will be invited to sign a builder agreement with BDC that's basically committing that all contractors um, in there on a, on a particular development um, will abide by the code of conduct. That's kind of the basic um, commitment made by a developer. Um, at the same time then, um, BDC uh, will, will monitor, will go, you know, do an initial audit with contractors on those job sites, um, will kind of um, identify what are the areas where we might need to do a little work um, to, to be in compliance and what are the places that um, compliance already seems to be, uh, and then establish a pattern for kind of how are we going to uh, monitor. We have job site access, um, the ability to, to be um, to investigate complaints. There will be a complaint line um, as well as simply, again, a presence on the job site, uh, and there will be really an initial orientation for the contractors that's kind of part of that audit, but also, and maybe more critically, um, uh, initial training in workers' rights um, for the workers, worker-to-worker -worker training, which is, again, a place that our partner Satool will be really leading on some of that direct worker-to-worker um, -worker training um, around the, the workers' rights manual that's really based on the code of conduct. Mm -hmm. So. One of the things that I think I I get confused by is the sense that we know that workers coming together, whether it's through this or this code of conduct, is, is better for workers. But we also know that these types of rules are often more expensive or more challenging for employers. So what's 
I mean, how do you get the benefit to, how do you get an employer to sign on to the dotted line and say this benefits me too and it's important for me to be accountable to to this worker-driven model? I mean, like what's what's the argument for the employer? Right, right. Um, it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a great question. And it's, uh, you know, at the heart of this model really is, uh, again, the idea of, of market consequences uh, and of um, consumer or broader kind of societal uh, pressure, right? Um, so, again, just looking very quickly at uh, what's, you know, the way things happen in, in Florida, really, again, recognizing the buyers, uh, big companies like um, uh, Burger King or Taco Bell that were buying tomatoes um, kind of, you know, needed to sign on to the initial agreement, right? And it took it took public pressure and consumer consequences, right? It took a boycott and, and various other kinds of measures to, to kind of bring them to the bargaining table, uh, even though at the same time, again, an argument could made, I think, and and I I would argue has has been you know has proven true that that there are also benefits right in terms of stability of workforce in terms of um, kind of predictability and and uh, and product um, here in, in in this situation really again on the on the kind of contractor level right in order for a contractor to have access um, to um, a particular developer project, right? They need to be, if the developer is a signer of the code of conduct or of the, uh, of the agreement with BDC, um, then if a contractor wants access to that project, they need to agree to abide by the code of conduct. Um, now, your question, of course, is still right on the mark. What brings developers to the table? Uh, and I think, again, um, this this will be a, a real mixture of things, right? We've already seen, certainly, and we see all around the Twin Cities, uh, responsible developers who recognize um, the importance of um, consistent practices of following um, rules and treatment. Many of these are working with uh, with unions and doing primarily union building now. Um, but, um, but again, uh, we, we can certainly see that among some of the developer community in this desire to, to do things the right way. We think there's a, there's an argument that can be made in this, really in this moment, uh, where we've seen the consequences of, of kind of bad practices on our, on our whole community, um, to really make that kind of higher standard, uh, argument. Uh, at the same time, I think it, it is going to be about um, really public pressure and a sense in which um, we in the Twin Cities, um, whether from the political side, um, whether from our leaders and, and mayors and council members and, and, and state officials and agencies can make that kind of a, a public call to, to better standards and safer construction, um, but also then, again, thinking about um, how do our community allies get involved? How do the um, faith communities and community organizations and neighborhood organizations together, how do we all um, really make it clear that um, the kind of uh, worker treatment and the kind of violations we've seen in this industry have to stop? Um, and that if we think we're going to move to a new place following the uprising and in the rebuild, we're not going to do it by repeating the same patterns that, that got us here. So it's it's going to take, you know, with, with uh, there's no question it's going to take public pressure and and, and uh, uh, campaigns to, to bring some folks to the table. Yeah. So outside of 
you know, BDC and SATUL, are there any other organizations, whether they are allied organizations or developers or contractors or just any other group who've signed on and said, once this code of conduct is public, we're willing to put our name on it and say we endorse this? Um, we have not. Uh, we we have had some early conversations with um, developers over the last uh, couple of years as the code has been um, taking place. We have not approached uh, any developers at this point about signing on to it. We're we're uh, we're just really um, reaching a point where the code of conduct is is really ready to go public. Part of the point of tomorrow. Um, and this launch we're doing is to kind of make um, that public invitation to um, developers and others to, to really take a look at this model and begin to, to meet with us and uh, become partners in this work. Um, certainly, in terms of, of kind of how BDC was built and the way we've worked, there's, there's lots of our um, community allies that have signed on to this you know, WSR model and have and have been frankly critical in helping us get as far as we've got. Um, both the both the carpenters and the laborers in the Twin Cities have been important partners in building the code and thinking about how this could be lived out. Um, the Minneapolis building trades are an important um, partner in helping again to to kind of get us to where we are. Uh, and there's been over the last couple of years really a new kind of coalition of many organizations from um, Jewish Community Action to Inkalinas to Acer to Satul to others who have been working to um, really um, try to put an end to sort of false narrative, if you will, that somehow we have to choose between um, affordable housing and livable communities or um, just workplaces and, you know, appropriate treatment and pay and benefits for workers, right? This has been a, a sort of false narrative that we've lived in for a long time where it's where where either developers have said, you know, look, we can't, we just can't build housing and pay um, these wages or these benefits and have the housing be affordable. Uh, or on the other side, uh, again, on the worker justice side, that we just uh, can't have uh, worker justice and have and have affordable housing. And so, really, this this coalition has been working over the last couple of years in a whole variety of ways um, to really put an end to that narrative and say, you know, we we demand both, right? We don't have to choose between these two. This is a this is a false dichotomy. And in fact, um, we can build in a way that takes care of the workers whose hands are doing the labor um, while at the same time uh, have livable communities and affordable uh, housing uh, in a way that, that again, serves our, our communities. And so those, those partnerships continue to be really important in the work. We've had many um, leaders from uh, local municipalities show up for that work, councils and mayors. We've had many, again, of our of our kind of community um, organizing allies that have really been a big part of that uh, of that building that coalition and that work. Wonderful. So you mentioned that public pressure is going to be one of the tools that you use to get people to sign on um, outside of the ally organizations. What kind of public pressure can individuals, people who listen to this show um, and, and, you know, read the news about this and all this, what can they do to um, support the work of BDC? 
Yeah, I think, again, it, it really is the community. I mean, it, it, this project starts with workers, right? It starts with with kind of the courageous workers who um, show have shown up large at, at Satool and certainly other places. But but again, as our kind of closest partner, certainly at Satool, have, have shown up and said, this is what's happening. We'd like to, you know, it's not fair. We we wanted something different. We want to organize. We wanna we want to change this industry, um, and this really simply began as again as that belief that things didn't have to be the way they were, uh, and frankly, people have shown up. You know, as as Satool has has built um, campaigns around wage theft and labor trafficking, as Satool and other allies worked in the city of Minneapolis and and more broadly to pass uh, a wage theft ordinance and have worked to build an enforcement arm um, as as folks like uh, Attorney General Keith Ellison and the AG's office have have launched a wage theft division uh, as as we've seen um, folks in the case in the Botris case last year kind of the most visible of the labor trafficking cases again um, we've seen the community in, in South Minneapolis and really across the Twin Cities showing up um, for workers and and standing with them in these struggles. And so really it's um, it's going to be more of that same practice, I think. Uh, it, you know, in this case, we're going to build um, – this is providing something uh, – this is kind of a new opportunity in the sense that, um, uh, that, that in part of this market, right, um, again, whether that's um, smaller multifamily development or single-family homes, or it's simply far enough out of the core city that um, there has not traditionally been a, a union model in play, um, this is really an alternative that we can put uh, in front of developers and cities and municipalities and communities to say, um, you know, let's commit to higher standards. Let's commit to a code of conduct. Um, I think, you know, the invitation is going to be to uh, neighbors and, and, and folks on the street. It's going to be to congregations and community organizations to say, where does this line up with, with your values? Um, and um, this is, there will be opportunities, right, to turn out and make it clear um, in, in the larger community that, that we in the Twin Cities can do things differently and, and and that we frankly demand that things be done um, differently. That we're not going to we're not going to rebuild in a way that's simply extractive of of wealth, um, but that in fact enhances uh, our neighborhoods and communities. And so there will be lots of opportunities to turn out. Um, I encourage folks to you know as they as they've been good to do to watch um, uh, the the BDC. Uh, website and Facebook page and Twitter page and the Satool uh, Facebook and, and website and Twitter page and again be be uh, uh, continue to be partners with with labor and these neighborhood organizations which is really where this is going to happen on the ground. Thank you so much for spe uh, speaking with us today. I'm really grateful for all this education. I'm I'm really interested in hearing this. Uh, hearing how this has unfolded and to continue following the work of, of BDC and your partners. And I'm just really grateful to know that individuals like yourselves are doing this work. My pleasure. And thanks for thanks for the interest. And again, look forward to continuing to um, to really build out this this model in the Twin Cities as a as another way uh, 
to, to continue to, to center worker voices and build worker power. Wonderful. Thanks to Reverend Mork for speaking with me um, on Monday for today's pre-recorded interview. Just a reminder that you're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. We've got just a couple of quick announcements for you today. First, there will be a We Can't Breathe March and Rally on October 10, hosted by the George Floyd Minneapolis Coalition and Black Lives Matter St. Paul. More details are available on Facebook. Second, Reclaim the Block is hosting Power in Numbers, a budget process teach-in on October 13. The event will take place over Zoom. You can find additional information and registration information on Facebook. That's it for now. We'll see you next week for our next episode as we continue to explore social movements and community organizing across the Twin Cities. For now, thank you for listening to the Radical News Radio Hour. You can reach us at radicalnewsradiohour at gmail.com. You can find us at journalismofcolor.com. And you can listen to all episodes of this show on Spotify, Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, and several other podcast platforms. Thanks to Manny Mestas for this episode's opening and closing theme music. And for now, you're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM.